Hi, welcome to Project Next, the podcast that sheds light on the future of marketing and communications. I'm your host, Brian Martin. Every week, I'll be sitting down with some of the smartest people I know. People are doing cool things with technology for marketing and communications. People are doing things that I don't always understand. You can consider this your Spotify playlist for all types of exciting new thinking and doing. Today, we're talking data. I know that sounds hopelessly boring, so I brought in the most interesting person I know, Paranaz Vahapsida. Welcome, Paranaz. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You were born in Iran and lived in Canada and the U.S., and you began your career as an investment banker in Toronto. How did you segue into data management? I actually had my first job at J. Crew in retail after I discovered very quickly that investment banking was not for me and landed in what probably was one of the original direct-to-consumer marketing teams in retail. So I was at J. Crew when we had the catalog, when we were opening stores, and just grew up in that space. And from J. Crew, I went to Coach and then Nike and Ralph Lauren and then back to Coach, always in the direct-to-consumer marketing, digital analytics, and data management space. Now you're launching Blue Boat Data. Can you quickly tell us about that journey? Sure. I've been in the business for 20-plus years and always working on the client side, so working at brand names. And I've seen probably the biggest change in the last five years in the space of data and analytics and and marketing and insights that I've seen in my career. And with that, I think comes a need for making that more accessible within organizations. And so I wanted to launch something that I felt like we didn't have in the marketplace, a tool that will create a smart data layer, organize your data. We're targeting enterprise businesses, so direct-to-consumer enterprise companies, and creating a visualization layer on top of that data that makes asking questions and understanding customer behavior, product performance, accessible to more people in the organization than just a data science team. Interesting. Were you doing that at Coach, or were you? did you see the opportunity while working at Coach and realize best to go off and do it on your own because there's nobody else delivering that? I've been doing it my whole career. I describe it as this company is meant to automate what I was doing as an analyst and what any good analyst does in the space. I believe that the technology exists for us to create that. It's just uh, that we're bringing to it a level of expertise that's industry-driven. So I think that that adds a different flavor to our design process and our product. I like that because most of the data wonks that I speak with quickly default to language that is way over my head. And what I've always liked about you is that you make data language very simple and understandable. And I know that in your practice, you have a consulting first step with clients where you establish the basics of data. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Sure. And this is, I can't remember who said this quote, but it's one of my favorites, that people will not do what they don't understand. And anyone who was doing my job when I was at Coach or Nike will sympathize with this, is that we, as a data scientist community, probably spent half of our time professionally on cultural change and data literacy. 
And when you're trying to implement data-driven decision-making or even some of the more advanced approaches to analytics in companies, you really have to have buy-in and you have to make sure that everybody explains what's going on in a way that is accessible to everybody. On multiple levels, I've seen that whether the actual data, like physically, is not accessible to multiple people in in an organization, and especially the ones that are making line of business decisions. So a GM should be able to have access to data in a way that doesn't involve necessarily, I'm going to email the data science team, ask them a question, one question. They're going to email me back something, usually in PowerPoint. And then I feel bad about asking the next set of 10 questions that I have because there's only four people in my data science team and I have a team of analysts, but they can't access the data. So on multiple levels from understanding to actually just physical access, I think is a problem that we have to solve. I'm a huge believer in data driving productivity. And so to the degree that we can make it easier to understand, it's also just going to be adopted more. So... When you start a data workshop, what are you covering in that first in that first process? We cover the basics, the fundamentals of this whole data analytics ecosystem. We cover it from a historical context, how it's evolved. We cover everything from what do certain terms mean to what are examples of people using analytics to drive their business. We cover the importance of what you have to capture, how you have to capture it, all of the a high-level overview of privacy management and the importance of that in data collection, and then also the vendor ecosystem. We are not Facebook. We are not Google. So we cover the basics of how to do direct-to-consumer advertising and all of the data-driven products that exist in advertising so that people have at least a foundation of understanding. And typically we find that at the most senior levels in small workshops is the best approach because we create an environment where people can ask questions freely and openly and we can cover off on the basics, which are actually not so basic. Mm -hmm. It's a complex space. It is, it is. I keep hearing that we need to be hiring data scientists. Is that important for us? Um, It's always important to hire data scientists. (laughs) I'm always going to say yes to that. That's a great point that you're raising because even the term data scientist doesn't really mean the same thing to even the data science community. And so I think there is a perception that these terms have definitive meanings and everybody except me knows what they mean. That's not the case. Data science is a term that's evolved to mean many different things. I define it, one, you know, one reporter's opinion. Data science is a team sport. There's a lot of people that have to do data science. And where it used to be traditionally, I guess, a statistician and maybe an engineer, now it's a full value chain for all the way from a data engineer, a software engineer potentially, the scientist or the statistician that is involved. You need data visualizers. That's its own skill and its own craft. People that are good storytellers, people that understand the business, so have deep business knowledge. And in any good data science team, those people are all data scientists in a data science team. We called our team at Tapestry the Data Labs team, and it involved that whole gamut of people. How big a team was it there? It was 10 people. 
Okay. Yeah. So with all those people, there are multiple stages of analytics that you do. There's descriptive analytics, there's predictive analytics, and, and recently we're talking, you called something prescriptive analytics. Mm -hmm. What are the difference between all these? So I'm not sure where they originated, but a lot of the larger companies will use these three stages in terms of like analytics maturity. Descriptive is essentially kind of like a postmortem. What happened? So anything that is, you know, what were sales last week versus same week last year? Or what was my product sell through? Those are descriptive analytics type questions and approaches. Predictive is trying to predict something. So whether you're going to try and predict what sales would be or trying to predict if someone is going to buy a product because you sent them this email or this catalog, that's under predictive analytics and requires a skill set that will involve coding and requires a skill set that involves statistics. And then prescriptive analytics, which is the most mature on that analytics curve, is essentially what should we do? So anything around optimization of inventory or optimization of pricing or what's a marketing mix basket that will optimize our marketing dollars. Anything around prescribing what a company should do or making decision-making easier given a whole host of inputs that essentially like a human mind would, it would be difficult to process is what I would put under prescriptive. And Right now, most companies are probably playing in the descriptive space. And the idea is not to move from one to three and be exclusively three. The idea is probably to do all three and to do it well. And so I've seen in more clients than not where some of the basic descriptive questions are actually hard to answer as it relates to customer. So companies will say our strategy is to bring in a new customer. Are you bringing in a new customer? Oftentimes, it's actually very difficult to answer that question because the data inputs to answer that question are hard to get at. So for predictive and prescriptive, it sounds like you need AI involved in this process. Yes, AI is, I like to define it as very simply Processes are things that we can get machines to do, that humans used to do, and sometimes or oftentimes better than humans can do. Again, and I think we've done ourselves a disservice with all these terms because it's confusing. I think it's confusing to people. You need AI probably to do prescriptive analytics. You, you wouldn't necessarily need AI to do predictive. A good example of predictive analytics that's been around for as long, if not longer, than the term data scientist, is people in direct-to-consumer marketing have developed statistical models to try to predict of their consumer base or their consumers in a database, if I send you this email, are you going to respond? And so if I only have $100,000 to spend on a marketing campaign and I have a consumer database size of a million, how do I pick the best 500,000 people? to target. People have been using predictive analytics, and these are all just, you know, math concepts, to try to predict who are the best 500,000 people to mail. That's been around for a long time. That's under predictive. Artificial intelligence has allowed us to 
automate a lot of stuff and to do so much more advanced analytics in terms of teaching a computer to recognize an image. So if you look at this image, is there a stop sign in the image? We can now train computers to do that. We can train computers to read through hundreds of thousands of pages of text and give us analytics around the language that's used in that text. Or hundreds of thousands of images and break down those images and connect them to other data sources. These are all things that in the last couple of years, because computer processing has evolved so much that the math and the computer science that can now be deployed at scale is much more accessible to people. The holy grail in our business is always insights. And it sounds like what you're doing is yielding lots of good insights for the companies you're working with. Is that something you're seeing a lot of? Yeah, I would like to think, for us to be successful, I would like to think that we're able to answer the company's questions, the most important questions, or help them answer those questions, and just as importantly, help them identify what questions to ask so that they can make better decisions. They can make better decisions with more data. The data doesn't have to replace gut. It doesn't have to replace intuition, but it does have to have a seat at the table, which I think has been missing for so many people. And to help companies identify what data matters, what data doesn't matter, and to distill it into what decision are you going to make based out of this insight. So the distinction that I've found to be the most effective is An insight for me is defined as where we can provide information or a tool can provide information and that information helps you make a specific decision versus, oh, that's nice to know or that's interesting. What the hell is big data? That's another, if you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. So again, it's not like there's a standard definition. We all know it. We're not sharing it. I think big data has evolved and is contextual to just the fact that so much data has been produced so recently. There is that statistic, I'm sure you've heard of it, that 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two years. Um, And that data is not just numbers. It's mostly text or audio. It's images. And thanks to some of the big players, there has been a rapid evolution in terms of our ability to process that data and analyze that data at scale. And so it's, it's just created new kinds of databases where we can host data. It's created ways that we can process petabytes of data. Um, and so it's a term that's come up to just really more contextual in the history of data development because it involves different kinds of data. So they call it the variety, the three Vs or the four Vs, the velocity, so we can process data a lot more quickly, velocity, variety, the volume, so it's actually just larger volumes of data than we've ever handled before. But you could probably drop the word big from it and just use data, and it would mean the same thing. But it's so much more fun to Yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) 
So what are some of the cool things that are coming out of your work that you, you think are really interesting and inspiring for you? I'm personally obsessed with leveraging data and analytics to help companies become more productive. I feel like there's so much productivity that's locked in manual processes or things that are done in Excel that can be automated and free up so much of people's times to do more interesting things. I don't think computers are going to replace everybody. I think it's just going to free up our time to do more interesting things. At the last company that I was I was at, our data science team probably spent 30 to 50% of their time just data wrangling. So getting data together, getting it into a place where they can analyze it. And these are data scientists. And I think that that's true for most data scientists. They spent almost half of their time organizing their data. We brought in all of our data assets in-house. We built it on a modern infrastructure. We organized it. That reduced that time by 30%. Wow. Um, and these are, I mean, I think these are baby steps. We haven't even touched on, you know, all the time that that frees up for data scientists to actually do more interesting work instead of just spending their time doing manual processes. I think that affects everybody. I think that affects finance teams that are doing financial forecasts still in Excel mostly. If you just take that as a problem to solve in companies, I would guarantee that moving to a data science approach would probably increase forecasting accuracy, and that's got to be worth material dollars to any company. Aren't things like that already happening, say, in hedge funds where they're mostly driven by AI and it's all data management? Yes. I think the short answer to your question is yes. And I think financial companies have always led in terms of data science. They were doing modeling and predictive analytics much sooner than than retailers, certainly. And their businesses are tied to it in a much more kind of visceral way. Um, Their use cases were some of the first to need more sophisticated data science approaches. So what are some of the other business categories that should be next in the data hierarchy? I think there's a lot in healthcare. I think healthcare is doing a lot, but the potential in healthcare is enormous. And I love this quote. It was said from a, by a principal data scientist at eBay who I heard speak a couple of years ago, and she had said, more data always wins. Wins meaning versus a better algorithm or a more sophisticated statistical model. And so the larger your data set, the more that you have in any kind of predictive or AI, they're all built on data sets. Everything is built on an existing data set. And how comprehensive and accurate it is affects the level of sophistication of the output. And so if you think of healthcare as an example and the fact that all of our individual data is now being tracked by wearable devices and for diabetic patients now their sugar levels are being read because there are patches that read your sugar levels every two minutes, all of that is data that's being created. If that data gets to a place where it's collected and analyzed, anonymized, but collected and analyzed, the output from that, I think, can be monumental. Um, So I think healthcare is huge. There isn't a sector that can't be touched by just more visibility into their business brought on through analytics. 
And what do you see as the next big thing in data management? I think it's going to be interesting to see the evolution of um, how, as individuals, we can control our data or have access to our own data. Traditionally, a lot of this data has been sitting with the people that we do business with, and I'm speaking more as a consumer than as a, as a business, but our data sits with banks, our data sits with doctor's offices, our data sits with companies that we do business with. I think it's going to be interesting over time as the value of data becomes so much more understood and what that leads to in terms of the power of it. I think it's going to create a whole subset or an industry where people will be able to collect their own data, monetize their own data, maybe have their own data lockers, and they can choose who they want to share their data with. And I think that that's going to be in tandem also just with governments needing to evolve how we manage the privacy and regulation of data. I so agree with that because I've often felt I'm giving my data to this company. Why can't they give me some insight into myself? Help right. me know where I rank. Am I yeah. in the top quintile of right. this category or am I a laggard in right. that category? Yeah. Analyze yourself. Yes. I think that's a big <laughs> untapped potential and it would make people understand better the data they're giving away yeah. And, yeah. And, and use it to their own benefit. Yeah. Are you finding that CMOs are becoming more data savvy? I think that they need to be more data savvy. I think that their purview in companies is certainly as it relates to any kind of digital marketing or really any marketing right now, there is very little that doesn't have a data component. And so I think it's critical for CMOs to raise their level of data literacy um, and to understand the ecosystem. There's so much hype and they make it unnecessarily complicated to understand how some of these different ecosystems work. And so, yes, I think they need to and are becoming more data savvy. I also think it's touching on traditional ways of how companies are organizing their departments. And so if there is a separate e-commerce department and there is a CMO and then there's a separate data analytics team, which more often than not right now is the de facto org structure, those three teams cannot be siloed or territorial as it comes to analytics, customer marketing, because they are managing different pieces of any direct-to-consumer experience. There's also now customer experience teams. And so I think the trickiest thing is for organizations to actually figure out how to make those departments work together while still maintaining that they're different departments, oftentimes reporting to different people. So true, and we see that just as in the advertising business with so many fiefdoms keeping us from the data and not allowing us to do what's really possible out there. Yeah. Internally, chief communication officers, how are they using data to benefit what they do? That's a really interesting one. One of the most interesting things that I've started to see, certainly in the last like year or two, is especially for companies that are dealing with an outside investor community, the investors, the professional investor teams themselves are becoming much more data savvy. There are a lot of companies that are starting up that are resellers of analytics, but to financial institutions and to hedge funds and to private equity players. 
And so as those analysts then raise questions and say, well, we were looking at a data set that shows that your brand positioning is on the way down, I think it's just as necessary now for chief communications officers then to understand that ecosystem so they can engage in that conversation and say, well, you know, the sources of these data is different than the sources that we're using, or, you know, we agree or don't agree because of these reasons. And so what I've seen a lot is that there are now more questions being asked by analysts that are based on data insights from third parties that companies have to respond to. Got it. And is there any way data is being used to strengthen a culture of a company? Yes. And I love the way that you asked that. I've never actually thought of it in those terms. But yeah, because I think that when it's done well, it brings transparency. And I think that it's also a great equalizer so that if you have access to data and can answer questions or can actually factually say, well, this campaign worked and this one didn't, it takes away a lot of the opinions and it encourages a more evenly distributed dialogue. I think it helps you get at what are the right things to talk about much more quickly and effectively. So much exciting opportunity here in the world of data. What's next for you now, Paranaz? Getting this startup off the ground. We're six months in, it's been exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time, multiple times a day. And so there is a community of companies that are being built in this space that are really also trying to do very material change management in the way that companies operate and in their level of productivity. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited because I feel like we're part of a much larger movement that's happening right now. And you're a female founder in a category that's heavily male-dominated. Do you find that to be an advantage for you? I'm happy that right now there's a lot of dialogue and recognition of supporting female founders. Female founders or companies that have at least one female founder received less than 3% of all of venture capital in the last year in the United States. That's terrible. So that's the starting point. Um, And it's even worse in the enterprise technology space. Um, And so I'm excited to be part of a growing movement to also change that so that at least there is more parity. Well, great. Well, we're excited to see what happens with Blue Boat Data and can't wait to see you be on Fortune 500 list very soon. Thank you, Ryan. Paranaz Vahabsida, the founder of Blue Boat Data, an exciting startup that you'll be hearing a lot more about. Thank you for listening to this edition of Project Next. Until next time, I'm Brian Martin.